0: Welcome, welcome. This is AROC20, podcast number three, and I have a wonderful guest with me. Um, I think on my second, the podcast I did last week, I mentioned that um, everybody on the show would be um, 45 years of age and up, but we have an anomaly in the building, (laughs) Um, and a beautiful anomaly, a a divine anomaly, Um, and... It is my new friend, uh, Tavania. And um, you're gonna be quite impressed with this young lady's background. And um, she's in just a short space of time has really affected me. Um, another one of the oracles on the journey because of she's her bravery, her poise, her intelligence. She just oozes confidence. She's um, extremely ambitious, extremely successful and she just took my breath away when i first met her um and i really want her to share uh, her journey and share who she is with you on our podcast so i'm going to welcome tavania welcome welcome tavania wow well thank you very much for that um
1: <sighs> outstanding um I don't know what I should say, but <laughs> you have... Well-deserved doubled. intro. Well-deserved it, intro. It, it well-deserved intro. I See, you have me speechless. I'm lost for words, literally and, and figuratively. But I'm, I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to have met you. And um, I'm just, you know, hoping that my story or my testimony can help someone.
0: Yeah. Well, it helped me. And like I said, I really think that... Um, you know, originally, like I said, the age range uh, I was shooting for was 45 and up, but it doesn't really matter really about the age, it's your story and your story is, is wonderful. And again, you are wonderful and your kindness and your poise has just really affected me. I've called everybody that attends this show um, or participates in Oracle and it's a personal agency considered to provide wise and insightful counsel And you are definitely deserve it of that title. So I'm going to ask you, just open up. I know I'd send everybody that comes here the five questions, but we will deviate because that's just what we do. Um, So tell me who you are and where you were born. All right. Well,
1: my name is Tavonia Russell Ekwe. Ekwe is my matrimonial name. Russell is my birth name. I am originally from Jamaica, I was born in um, a town called Westmoreland, in the parish of Westmoreland, in a town called Savanana Lamar, or Lamar for short. And um, I lived in Jamaica for a period of four years, and then I immigrated with my mother to the United States, um, probably around four and a half. And initially we lived in Florida for about a year or so, and then we made our way west to California because we had family in California. So um, I've been a California Inglewood slash LA baby. And so California is pretty much um, all I know. Um, You know, during my developmental years, my mom made it a point every year to send me to Jamaica for two to three months during the summer so I really got to experience the um the real side of Jamaica I I spent a lot of time with my grandparents in SAV um, which at that time years ago they considered SAV Lamar country Mm -hmm. you know it was very kind of rural and so I really got to experience just you know eating off the land and 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 watching my grandparents have multiple streams of income now multiple streams of income is not new it's not you know i know our generation everything seems like brand new because it's now on social media but right. multiple streams of income you know the jamaicans had that down pack years ago because we had to as a means of survival right. and i remember my grandfather in particular he was the assistant fire chief in our town and he would just give me all these. He was like, you know, like Jesus had parables. My grandfather had a parable for everything. And I just remember him telling me so many things. But one of the things he told me is you have to have in 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 our dialect, which is Patois, he would say you have to have tree jobs. Um, like real, real, you know, that didn't come from living color. And I said, what do you mean? He was like, well, you have to know if you, if you, if you have a job that requires you to use your mind, you need to know how to use your hands. If you have a job that requires you to use your hands, you need to also know how to use your feet. So my grandfather, in addition to him being the assistant fire chief, he also had a truck, which they, they, the, the truck they call Moses. So that's how my grandfather got his nickname. And with the truck, he used to haul everything from cows to furniture. Um, He also did a little bit of tailoring on the side too. So he did, you know, um, he was very multifaceted and I would be remiss if I didn't highlight my grandmother. Now, back in those days, my grandmother's grandparents' days, you know, women were brought up to basically take care of the home, to be homemakers. And so she was, you know, raped at a very young age, and had to start her adulthood very early, but it didn't hold her down. My grandmother, even though she had a grade school education, she was brilliant. Um, I remember watching my grandmother create hybrid flowers and hybrid fruits. You know, this is something that people go to agricultural school to learn, but this is something my grandmother knew how to do. I remember how she would make her own ham and cure it for months. You know, and 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 her explaining the the the, the process of curing ham, um, I remember just a number of things. You know, because our land was so um, fertile, and we had a lot of fruits and vegetables. She would basically like, for example, one of the tamarind trees that we have. She would, you know pick the tamarind and then she would make it into tamarind balls with rum and sugar and she would resell that to the market women to basically resell at the market to make an income for themselves so she'll make a little money from for giving them her product and they also made money um and so and my grandmother she was the the epitome of what our generation would call a hustler or a businesswoman, however you want to call it you know, so I had that, um, influence on my life at an early age, you know, just seeing just like the hustle, seeing my grandparents who were considered wealthy in our community because we had a pretty much, we had a nice house. We had more than two vehicles. We never had to beg anyone for anything. If anything, people came to us, whether it was eggs, sugar, whatever it was, our food, our house was never short of food. Um, my grandmother always had food for guests or visitors whenever they would come. So it really just set the tone, uh, in my life in terms of being, making sure you have multiple streams of income, making sure that you you don't just do for self, always have food and, and, and things for others. If they come to your place, it shouldn't just be about you. You should always be welcoming to guests. Um, And my mother has been a huge influence in my life. My mother, you know, pretty much raised me um, as a single parent. I do have a father, you know, um, you know, my mom initially took me from Jamaica. So he did miss out for about four years. But after that, you know, we were able to catch up on our relationship and and we'll get to him in a minute. But my mom, you know, my mother was a, a staunch disciplinarian. Yeah. And I didn't like my mom for years. I, I think I just started to like my mom probably, <laughs> if I can be extremely transparent, maybe four or five years ago.
0: And can I ask I, you before you go sure. there? So how, how would you describe your childhood then? You know, based on that.
1: I would describe my childhood. I would say I developed a lot of resiliency in my childhood. Um, just going through a number of things that may be considered traumatic <laughs> you know in the literal sense mm-hmm. um so i i think that's one of the reasons why i'm very resilient i am adaptable and um you know yeah i've gone through a lot
0: <laughs> so i mean overall you would say it was a kind of difficult childhood um
1: so okay let me just say this uh, when I first in Jamaica, I, I think it was just I had the best childhood. You know, you're four years old, you're living your best life. Mm-hmm. Um, immigrating to the U.S. was definitely um, it was an adjustment for both my mother and myself. Even me as a small child, I, I noticed that there were some you know cultural differences, and um, you know having to go through the struggle seeing my mom struggle and you know we went from living with family probably for the first two or three years of being in America to finally my mom being able to make an income to where we actually could have our own place and you know um, seeing her struggle but it was it's interesting because my mom I knew I was just a smart kid that was very intuitive so you know if my mom was under pressure I would feel it even though she tried her best to not display her stress and anxiety around me but I knew there was a struggle you know kids are just very in tune to things that are happening around them you know that's why I'm very careful what I say and what I do around small children because we think that they don't have a clue, but actually the first five years of life, that's when the myelation process really takes place. And there are studies to show that some children are actually, they actually test at the level of genius um, at a very young age. And then eventually, if you don't hone in on those talents and those skills, you know, it, it can either go away or, or you can develop on their intelligence or their IQ. Yeah. So my mom... Um, you know she went through a lot of struggles she was a school teacher in our native land and had to basically start over I remember going to clean houses with my mom because she did multiple jobs too She we cleaned houses she was a CNA she what else what did my mom do um, and she rode bicycles to and from her jobs for the first couple of years because we didn't have money to buy a vehicle so um you know we made it fun to me as a kid the struggle was fun because there were some little things that you know like i was telling her the other day i was reminiscing how i remember going to rallies and um sizzlers and that was like a big treat whenever my mom would take me to rallies or the sizzlers i knew like oh whoa my mom made a little extra income so it was very it was fun for me, but when it wasn't fun is when, you know, as I got older, I, I got to see like how, you know, the pressures of just being a single parent, a single woman in this country, how sometimes those pressures often, you know, get this, this displaced on children. Yeah. So, and it, it did cause, it did cause for years, you know, me feeling as if, you know, maybe my mom didn't. I knew she loved me, but it it just it 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 was traumatic for me in in more ways than one. Yeah. Um, and then you know, different people being introduced in my life at a young age and taking advantage of my innocence, you know that that led to some trauma as well. But I'm very happy to have made it out number one alive yeah. with my sanity. Um, a lot of especially young girls that go through trauma as children, you know, often live wayward lives. And I'm glad that, you know, thank God for Jesus that, you know, I did not turn out the way society would have probably thought I would turn out going through some of the traumas that I went through. And I think part of it is, you know, I still had the influence of my grandfather, you know, who loved me so much and would give me so much sagely and, and, and wise advice. And, and my mom, you know, too, you know, she loved me, you know, and we got through some of the, I would say, some of the, the barriers that prevented us from really having a great mother and daughter relationship in my adolescence. But I think now that I have, we both have evolved um, as grown women, our relationship has now kind of budded into that mother-daughter relationship because there's trust. And I feel, you know, obviously safe. And she obviously now feels safe and and not judged by me. Because for a long time I think I had put this wall up between us because, you know, a lot of resentment and I blamed her for a lot of things. But we've thankfully gotten over that and and part of it is because you know i i i don't know what i was watching someday in this probably a lifetime movie and and this young girl wrote a letter to her mom it was like a three-page letter Mm -hmm. my letter wasn't three pages it was about one page but i really just poured out my heart into that letter and this was a couple of years ago and i said mom i really want you to read the letter because i was I put things in the letter that I couldn't I cannot say to you face to face. Now, we have not discussed that letter, believe it or not. Um, i I have a feeling that my mom has read the letter um, because I, I I went in on the letter. I told her everything how I felt, what I went through. And I have noticed over time that there was a shift in the atmosphere. There was a shift in how she, you know, communicated with me and I felt like she became a lot more empathetic and to my needs. So you
0: never so, discussed the letter with her?
1: No. I think it, it was just a closed chapter for me. It was purely um, therapeutic on my part. I needed to get it out. And um, and I don't think I will discuss the letter. I just don't think there's no reason for us to dredge up those old feelings. It's done um, it's in the past, I've moved on and, and, you know, I don't have I don't have any more ill feelings, you know I have come to grips with what has happened and I'm just very thankful for where my life has, you know, led me till today.
0: Well, let, me, let me ask you something, if you could go back and I'd ask my previous guests this um, and you see the little girl you, little Tavanian right? What would you tell her? What would you, how would you reassure her? What would you tell her?
1: If little Tavonia, boy, oh boy, I would tell to little Tavonia, you can achieve whatever your mind can conceive and don't let anybody make you insecure about anything, be it your looks, be it whatever it is. You don't let anybody's um, deflect their insecurities on you because that was one of the things I think I despise the most as a child. You know, especially when you're a kid growing up, you know, kids are, are free spirits. And mm-hmm. I remember comments being made to me, which I shall remain nameless, um, you know, by different people like, oh, why are you so happy? You know, your mom can't afford that. Or, you know, um, you know, look at you, you're, you've <laughs> you're going to be fat when you grow up. or, And I wasn't even a fat child. I was, you know, the chubbiness didn't really come in until probably elementary, late elementary. And, oh, or, you know, look at your nose. Your nose is so broad and, you know, things like that. Or don't stay in the sun because you're going to be dark. And it's like, you know, all of those things could have potentially made me an insecure woman yeah. to make validation in men. And I don't, thank God, have to seek that validation in a man because I had the presence of my grandfather mm-hmm. who made me very safe and secure in who I was, you know. Right. and He gave me a lot of golden nuggets throughout the years about men. So, <laughs> so,
0: so let me ask you this now and now moving forward. What are you scared of now? What scares you? Was anything? Um, scary?
1: I think probably the the biggest fear that I have is being alone.
0: Mm. Yeah. Wow. You want to expand on that? It's interesting because my other guests had the same thing.
1: Ooh, of course. I want to
0: know to cry.
1: I think um, because you know I, I am an only child you know I'm married to someone who is significantly my senior and um, yeah I don't really have siblings so it you know I do worry about that
0: mm-hmm. you know it's it's interesting you say that because mm-hmm. I, I think you know Cubans are ultimately social beings um and you know i i i just feel like that is a and i and just correct me if i'm wrong here but i think that's a deep-seated fear within a lot of people right but i think that and i think during this COVID situation that it's become even more expanded it's it's more pronounced um I think people are being forced to sort of be alone with themselves. And we've been like almost two years of this journey of uncertainty, um, you know, families not being able to be together, all those things, right? And just changes, like, especially, I mean, you're a nurse, we're nurses, and we're really sort of thrown into this. And it's, it's a lot of uncertainty and we're dealing with people, um, patients, Other nurses that are all going through this really real kind of time to look at your own mortality and your your journey and being alone. And do do you think that it's more pronounced now for you?
1: I absolutely think it's more pronounced, and you're you hit the nail on the head. You know, having gone through the first wave of COVID in the emergency department and seeing people die at (laughs) astronomical rates that I have never seen in my 16 years of nursing has really opened up my eyes to just, you know, what is life Mm -hmm. and, you know, (laughs) what is it that I want to accomplish and seeing some of these patients who... You know, probably have the resources to get the best care in the world, be in a situation that um, they're vulnerable. There's nothing more that they can do. There's nothing more that the, the physicians or the hospital can do. And seeing some of them, especially at that time during the first wave, we weren't allowing anybody. There were no visitors coming in the hospital unless you were taking your last final breath. And just and, and and having to be one of those people to call on FaceTime using my own personal phone to call family members, you know, please, you know, your dad is, you know, taking his final breaths. You know, hearing is the last thing to go. What do you want to say to him or her? You know, having those conversations really messed me up. I'll be honest with you, Cora. I probably had PTSD for several months i would say i'm just now slowly getting out of it have a little bit in it in me um but it it caused not only me but several of, of, of my colleagues who were working on the front lines especially those of us that were working in er and icu where a lot of our patients weren't making it yeah and we had to you know um, I was telling somebody the other day, one of the things that they assigned me to do as a director of ER and nursing was to um, do the the inventory of the bodies. Because at that time, during the first wave of COVID, all the mortuaries were completely full to capacity. So the coroners had to step in and help us house bodies because a lot of the hospitals, our refrigerator trucks were filling he had to stock bodies upon bodies. And that's never a good thing. So an ideal situation. And I remember one of my jobs was to go into that refrigerated ch- truck and label the bodies a specific way. They wanted the bodies labeled like three different types of ways. And it's like, look, we got the body label. What more do you want? Right. But I remember you know, that, that feeling of going into that cold truck and the smell mm. of Bodies. It lingered with me for a few months. I could literally. I remember smelling it. I remember dreaming of bodies. <laughs> um, it, it was just crazy, and I don't ever. And that's part of the reason, Cora, that I decided to step away recently from being the the director of ER and director of nursing because I saw that this wave was creeping back up. I knew it wasn't going to be as terrible as the first wave, but either way mentally, I knew that I, Tavonia, could not, I wouldn't be able to be as strong for my team as I was during the first wave. And, you know, coupled with all of the new restrictions on, you know, uh, testing employees and, 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 you know, forcing people to get vaccinated, you know, um, I just didn't want to deal with any of that. So I decided to step away from that role and transition more into a traveler travel right. nurse, which that's how we met.
0: You know, it's funny because um, I think that this is something that people don't look at the numbers when they look at the burnout of leadership. I I know that there's a huge hole in leadership positions for nursing because one of the most difficult things I know that I had to do, like doing, uh, being in ICU as a leader in, that, in those uncertain times is to face people with a plan that was ever changing, right? Knowing that I'm at risk, but they're really at risk. You know, these are people, these are somebody's son, daughter, sister, mother, that I'm giving them this inf- information that's not even a hundred percent, and I'm needing you to go in, you know, into the, the lion's den, you know? That kind of wears you down, you know, because you, you wanna do everything you can, but we, this is the this is the sort of the the fallout of living in a pandemic, and in a pandemic in a healthcare system that is fragile in any way, you know. So, um, what I I'm hoping I'm praying, you know, the next six months that we can just get through this and get back to life, you know, the life. People always say, oh, life's not going to go back to the way it was, you know, it's going to be different. But even just it helps just to be able to go out to eat, to, you know, go for a walk without a mask on outside, you know, just to be able to do these things that we weren't able to do before. So I am praying that it's going to get better. Um, So back with I I have committed in this podcast to always talk about podcasts. I mean, to talk about covid with every guest because it's it's what we're living in this. We're living through history. And I and I want to bring that up. But I want to switch back to now your life. Do you have any regrets at all at this point in your life of, of, of anything in the past or or paths that you took, or you know, career paths, personal, anything that, that is a regret that hangs over you? You know, honestly, I don't have any regrets.
1: I feel like my life, you know, with all the loops in the, and the and bumps along the way, I feel like in a divine way everything was orchestrated um, for a good and wise purpose and I think that um, everything was meant to happen so I don't have I I try not to live with regrets
0: good (laughs) I have regrets (laughs) but it just makes me stronger so what would you say your biggest mission in life right now is, You want what's your mission? What are your goals right now? What does that look like for you? Thank you for that question.
1: I believe that my life has so much purpose. I mean, all of our lives have purpose. But when I think about the impact that I still have yet to make on this planet. Um, One of my goals is to really, to be financially free so I can do philanthropy. I am a philanthropist at the core of me. I wish if there was a way, and that's why my husband is very protective of me because if he doesn't put his foot down, I probably would like literally give away everything, all my money, Um, everything people know, like the the people that try to take advantage of me, they know the hard luck stories to come with in order to make me, um, either write a check or give them funds that, that I probably have no business giving out. So, um, I really see myself building a, and I told my, my father who's still living, he's in Jamaica. I told him that, um, and I don't ever want to grieve the Holy Spirit and lie on the Holy Spirit, but it just was put in my soul that I should build a, a clinic slash hospital. Wow. So um, that's one of the things that I'm going to work on, even if it takes me 10 or 20 years, you know, before I take my last breath, that is one thing that I definitely want to, to build. I also want to you know, grow the nonprofit that I you currently want to tell have. us
0: about the nonprofit? You want to give yeah. tell us about it?
1: So um, my husband and I, we both co-found a nonprofit called I-Help Foundation. So I-Help Foundation. If you want to check it out, you can go to I-HelpFoundation.org. And so uh, it actually started in our kitchen. Um My husband is, just as given, and and if not, he's such a he's. I always tell him, I said, you're like an angel on earth. You're a much better person than I am. He he just has a different way of showing it. He's more on the quiet side. But we used to we started in about 2012, 2013, where we would actually make meals for. And I, I don't like to use the word homeless, right? For for people for housing insecure individuals. Okay. <laughs> And mm-hmm. so, we, and we would make good food. We, we wanted to, we didn't want to just, you know, I've seen, and, and no, I'm not saying anything bad against organizations. They give out sandwiches and chips. You give what you can, right. but I really wanted people who did not have a home to really be able to have a warm meal. And I know that there were sh- several shelters downtown, but not everybody gets into the shelter. Not yeah. everybody makes it in time to get a hot meal. And so um, a few of my friends and, and, and associates would come and help, and we would prepare these meals, and we would plan it out, and, and we became very popular amongst the people downtown. We were actually going, going against the law because in downtown Los Angeles, they have an ordinance where people are not supposed to be giving out food. The only way you can really? give out if, yeah, is if you have either a permit or if you're doing like a some type of a birthday celebration, it's it's really weird, but they do it because they want to prevent, um, you know, people disposing um, some of the the food items. They don't want people to loiter and they really want to try to keep that area downtown clean. So that's where that came from. But we were like, you know what, we're going to just go ahead and defy some of these ordinances. And, and if the police happen to stop us, then, you know, then we'll stop. But we never got any um, slack from the police. And we would, um, our line grew from, from like 40 people all the way to like over 100. And so eventually it started to get a little bit dangerous because you have good people down hmm. there, but you also have a lot of bad people. And so when, when and, I, and I, I really try to abide by the Holy Spirit. And when I kind of got the unction that it was starting to get really dangerous for us because we couldn't control the crowd anymore and there were more sketchier people that were coming into the lines causing fights and it just became an unsafe situation and so ironically at that time I had gotten accepted into a doctorate of nursing program Mm -hmm. and that was 2011 and so from 2011 to about 2014 we we still were trying our best to meet up with the demands, but eventually, you know, with school and work, you know, it, it just wasn't, it didn't fit our schedule anymore. And so we, we stopped uh, going downtown with the food because, you know, people were starting to know our movements, our vehicles. So it just became very uh, dicey for us. Wow. Um, so then eventually, <coughs> fast forward, maybe about four or five years ago, we started to, you know, bring life back into our organization. We started doing a number of things from doing things with kids um, at the garden to teaching kids how to stop the bleed, hemorrhage control, because there were so many school shootings. I actually, yeah, I actually got certified to teach um, adults and children how to um, prevent it's called Stop the Bleed. It's actually a campaign. So we did that. And, you know, my husband said to me, he said Tavonia, you know, I know we're doing all of these wonderful things, but you really we, we really need to narrow our focus because, you know, we're doing all of this out of pocket, which is great. But when you start looking for funders and people who want to eventually sponsor us, they want to see that we've done one thing and one thing well. So we are regrouping right now. Um, I'm very passionate about doing a lot of things overseas. And part of the reason for that is um, it it seems to be a little bit less red tape, you know, going to different countries and doing um, certain things. And And for me, you know, some of the people are a little bit more appreciative of the things that you do for them, you know, so. One thing that I'm really passionate about is period poverty. And a lot of people don't even know what period poverty is, but basically, you know, there are women all, even in the United States, that cannot afford menstrual products and mm-hmm. wait going to work or school when they're on their menses because they don't have the, 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 the supplies to maintain their hygiene and and in some countries there's a lot of shame that comes with being on on your period so I teamed up I am an ambassador with Days for Girls which Mm -hmm. is a a world renowned organization uh, and they're known all over the world and so women get together make these um, eco-friendly menstrual products pads that are reusable that can be washed and reused and they package it very nicely in a bag it also comes with um, washcloths and underwear so that's one of the things that I'm focused on right now
0: where where are you sending this stuff to what countries so we were working in
1: Haiti but you know Haiti is um a little bit um there's some (laughs) it's a little complicated right now with and unstable with their government. So it's hard for us to go back. We do have people on the ground there, but it's just not a good time. And my people that are there locally have told me, you know, just hang tight. You know, once, you know, Haiti, you know, get some stability, you know, you can come back. But I recently took a trip to Jamaica, which is my home country. And, And unfortunately, I could not give out all, I couldn't distribute all of the kits because, The government has lockdown days where you literally cannot move and if you're caught moving um, outside of the hours that are set you could potentially be um, locked up so it limits my ability to really um, give out as many kids as i wanted to give and do the education that normally i give when i provide the kids right so to answer your question my focus now is really to um we want to build again the clinic and and god willing eventually scale that out into um a hospital of some sort we also want to build um schools and i'm working locally with my university that i teach at to build a simulation hospital because it's now become a lot harder for students to actually get clinical experience because I don't know, for whatever reason, COVID or maybe um, liability reasons, hospitals don't really want students to do as much as probably you and I did when we were in nursing school. So they're coming out of school with very limited skills. And so we're going to be working on developing um, a simulation hospital with high fidelity mannequins that the world has not even seen yet uh, to
0: prepare for You are a a slacker, okay? You're not (laughs) doing enough, okay? (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) Yeah, this is outstanding. I'm like, you know, I I hope I know that just you telling this these stories and 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 your plans, or you're inspiring people. You know, you're inspiring those people that we want to get out there to get involved. Can people get involved with your organization? absolutely we need help I am
1: not a good um beggar <laughs> um, I'm not very good at you know fundraising and that's one of the things that hopefully God brings me the right team because you know everything everybody who wants to be associated with the name and my thing is is that you know I I don't know if it's because of my background I don't like to post a lot of pictures. I don't like to. I feel like it's a, a self aggrandizing But I'm learning that that in this field you do have to self-aggrandize yourself because this is the way that people can see the work that you're doing. So, um yes, they can absolutely. They can go to the website and um check out
0: you want to give that website again? Actually, I'm going to put it in the bio too, but you want to give it to the people again?
1: Yes, it's i-helpfoundation.org.
0: Good. That's amazing. Um, I want to get back to you again. I mean, we talked about, we're uh, talking career-wise. What about, where do you see yourself personally um, in the next 10 years? what do you, where do you envision yourself?
1: would you in the next 10 years i envision myself overseeing a a massive business empire Mm -hmm. that is blessing people um i have there's some things that i'm working on but you know i'm not going to speak on it too much and it actually has nothing to do with nursing or healthcare. um but i know that it's going to bless a lot of people and it's going to Bring economic empowerment back into the hands of people. And um, so I foresee myself, you know, overseeing that amongst, you know, building hospitals, clinics, schools, um, hopefully creating macro investment programs for rural people that live in rural communities and to give them an opportunity to advance themselves because I don't believe in just giving people fish let me show you how to fish right Um, I'm hoping that I am a mother um, that's I want to have some children maybe one or two and you know give take them you know hopefully I will be financially I will be financially feasible financially solvent um, enough to take my children around the world and show them the world show them things that I was not able to see but I want
0: my kids to be better human beings than
1: me and and their father
0: well that so, would be that would be a lot that will be they'll be super <laughs> human then
1: but let me <laughs> ask
0: you something how are you taking care of yourself now what do you do because you're super busy you've got all these things going on but how are you taking care of yourself do you take time for yourself
1: I actually do believe it or not I find time to take my naps. <laughs> naps are very vital, I realize, after the age of 35. Like, you you need those naps. Mm-hmm. So I take time to, to take naps. I take time to, you know, be by myself. I think that, you know, being alone is very important sometimes. Just being in your own space. And I think that's one of the things that I like about travel nursing is that sometimes I'm away from home and I feel as if you know I just have that me time yeah um, I don't like a lot of it because I get homesick but um you know I am working on you know trying to get my health in order and get my weight down to you know I just want to be healthy and that's one of the things that I'm working towards so I'm hoping to have a new me by next year nice and,
0: um yeah I'm working towards that do you, do you would you say that you're the happiest you've ever been, Matt, right now? Or? Um, I wouldn't say that. Um,
1: I I'm happy. I'm very happy. I just I, I don't know. I do have a sense of joy now, since I have you know severed ties from my prior role. I do feel a lot more balanced, and I feel like oh gosh. I don't have to check my phone every five minutes to find out what's going on in the hospital, or I don't have to worry about call-offs. Um, so yeah, I guess so. I, I I do have a level of peace, I would say,
0: more than I've had in a while. So I, I love that. I love everything you've said. I love the whole self-care thing. I think that that's something I'm normalizing for myself. Um, I think that as a mother, as a nurse, I think we just tend to just go, just dissolve into the wall and become, you know, just working, 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 working. So it's become almost an art form for me to be, uh, to to, to delve into the whole self-care world. Everything from cooking the best meal for myself to laying in bed if I want to and just being in my pajamas on my day off, you know, and not feeling guilty. So I think it's so important. You know, I, I wanna kind of just close. I, I wanna just sort of let you know that everything you've said tonight has been so powerful, um, especially the nonprofit, but more importantly is your courage. Um, I think that you are extremely courageous. I, I, I get the vibe from you all the time when I'm around you. There's nothing you won't take on. There's nothing you can't do. And I think you are, you promote self-love just naturally. So that's what I saw in you. And that's why you kind of just took my breath away because at your age, um, when I was your age, that wasn't even in my, in my purview. I was totally, you know, I, I just didn't even register with me. So you kind of became, you know, just inspirational to me for that, you know? So I thank you for that. And I thank you for spending the time telling us about your amazing life and everything you've done and everything you are set to do I think you are somebody to watch I think your success is going to be phenomenal and I'm just glad to know you it's been an absolute joy for only by the way people for about a month I think and but you are a dynamic entity a definite oracle so thank you for doing this no
1: thank you Cora I Really value this time this has been very therapeutic for me and I echo the same sentiments about you you are I'm not I'm sure you that you know this by now but I'm not I always tell people I am an extroverted introvert so my like, what is an extroverted introvert I said meaning that I selectively choose who I want to be extroverted with because I am very guarded with you know my personal space Uh, my story who I am everybody doesn't deserve to I don't mean to say this in any pompous way but everybody doesn't deserve your energy and your time and your space and so you know you and I you know we've had multiple uh we have we've had ample enough time to dialogue with each other to get to know each other on a on a deeper level and I I said you know I like her. I, you know, she's definitely eclectic (laughs) and you two are very brave. And, and then that comes with, you know, um, wisdom over the years. And, and I said, you know, I like the fact that she is authentic to herself Mm. and you are very authentic. You say what's on your mind. And I love that. I think that too often in society, we feel that. And don't get me wrong, you know, in leadership, you do have to have a level of duplicity, obvious for obvious reasons, but, you know, at the core, you should have some level of authenticity. And and that's what I do like about you. Um, You're very authentic. I pride myself on being authentic. And um, you're also teaching me to, you know, it's okay to be uncomfortable, it's okay to sometimes be a little vulnerable and to open up to meeting new people because that's how we learn that's how we grow that's how we evolve right so i thank you for that and i thank you for allowing me on your platform and and you know um and i hope your your viewers your listeners
0: gain something from me well they will they will and i want to say this i do have to give you a shout out this was actually your idea right you literally, I think we were out and uh, we were eating somewhere and you said, you should do a podcast because, you know, I tell these stories and I think it was like the next, either that night or the the next night that I did it. So it was you that did it because I'm finding that this is actually my passion. I feel like I've got a message. And I've got a voice and and I'm, and again, I want to engage the people that I engage with because this has been such a magical time. This has been five years, six years of just meeting these people that are just like along this path of life are just lighting up my life, you know, and you're one of them. These oracles, these beacons, these beautiful souls that have stories of courage, of pain, of of really just being triumphant, you know, in their survival and thriving and beautiful, kind, authentic, genuine people. And I think that it's just, it's just helped me. I wouldn't be able to get through life without this. It's almost like God laid the path and put these people in certain points and and I'm better because of it, you know? So I, once again, thank you. And I say goodbye to the people. <laughs> thank you so much to Vanya. Bye-bye. Bye.